0: trick-or-treat blue devil fans and welcome to basketball season it is halloween night it's sunday october 31st 2021 i am your host for this edition of the duke basketball report podcast i am sam klein i am coming to you as i usually do from my home in boston today we participated in a uh, halloween parade where our dog was dressed up as a firefighter from our neighborhood i am joined by jason evans who is at home in atlanta where the atlanta braves are are uh, one game one game baby uh, and, and that, and, and,
1: and by the time people hear this, they will probably know either that the Braves have won their second world series of my lifetime or that they have not. And that we are waiting for games five and, uh, game six and seven in Houston.
0: And I can tell you from a uh, recent experience rooting for a team that was playing the Houston Astros in the world series that, that going back to Houston doesn't necessarily pretend that you're going to lose. So, uh, I guess good luck. I'm not necessarily rooting for the Braves. Like as a Nationals fan, it's really not in my it's really not in my in my wheelhouse to be able to do that. But but, uh, but on the can... other
1: hand, the the Astros are evil.
0: So yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so it's a, it's a tough one for uh, for Nats fans. I'm sure there are other fans uh, of baseball teams out there that that aren't enjoying this World
1: Series. But so I have a good friend who's from Houston um i hadn't seen him in a couple of years actually and he and i ran into each other in las vegas a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about oh wouldn't it be great if the braves and the astros were playing each other in the, in the world series we're like yeah that'd be fun we'll make a bet you know that kind of thing so when it actually happened he texted me and he said uh he said okay we, we got to make a bet L- lunch he's like he comes back to atlanta fairly often he's like next time I'm in atlanta whichever team wins the world series the other one will buy you know that guy will buy lunch loser has to buy team. lunch yeah right exactly um, now, my friend, I should note uh, is is quite wealthy. He he owns different companies. His family has owned a a really large sporting goods company that um, that everyone has heard of. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name it. I don't want to out him too much. But this is a guy who is not struggling for money. So I've already decided that should the Braves win, I'm gonna tell yeah, him where
0: where is he taking you.
1: Yeah. Well, should the Braves win, I want my lunch to be at 8 p.m. at the Palm. So I can order lobster steak. <laughs> that's when my lunch will be. <laughs> you're going to be having, you're going to be having
0: filet for lunch that day. And lobster turf yes. and turf. Yeah. It's gonna be... <laughs> I like, I, 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 uh, I respect that. So Jason's here. Uh, Donald is not uh, spooky enough. Donald is not joining us for this episode. He is en route to Hawaii right now. And uh, we had to talk about the exhibition. So uh, unfortunately no Donald for this episode. He will be back next weekend at, at the very least because uh, hello, folks. The season is starting and we have to do the stats game. So uh, we will we will give you a quick preview after the break today of the stats game. But before we get to that, we, of course, have to cover the Duke basketball game from yesterday. It was just an exhibition, but uh, Duke beat Winston-Salem State 106 to 38 in that exhibition in Cameron. It was the first uh, game in Cameron featuring Duke men's basketball and an opposing team. Since March of 2020, uh, combined with the Duke Wake Forest football score, which was 45 to seven, Duke beat the city of Winston-Salem on Saturday uh, by a total of 40 points. So I think that's (laughs) I I think I think that's pretty good in aggregate. Uh, We will not be discussing the football game at length. I think it was pretty disappointing. And perhaps Blue Devil fans don't want to hear too much about it, but this game against Winston-Salem State was pretty exciting. I know that there were some Duke fans who were not able to access it because of, of ESPN+. However, for those of us who were, uh, let's talk about it and, and get into a little bit of, of the good and the bad. Jason, I am going to let you kick that off. There's only two of us, so I'm going to have to let you kick that off. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you what topic we need to start with because there were a lot of, of highs in this game, but I would like for you to address the appearance of A.J. Griffin, who we were not warned ahead of this game was even necessarily going to dress. Uh, not only was he dressed, he played in this game, scored 10 points, uh, looked, like, looked like a pretty dang good basketball player in our first glimpse of him. So why don't you tell us first your impressions
1: of A.J. Griffin? So A.J. Griffin came in as the third guy off the bench, the eighth man on the team. Um, look, and by the end of the game, everybody had almost played equal number of minutes. I mean, like, you know, between about 17 and 21 minutes was basically all, all 10 of the, you know, major, you know, the significant players in this team, the really the scholarship. I mean, I know Severino and Worthington are on scholarship, but you know, they, they were walking. recruited players, recruited players, thank players you who were, you. who were at some point recruited <laughs> to division one schools. Right, right. So, uh, so AJ Griffin was the eighth man on the team. I, I, I thought he he looked tentative at times, but on the other hand, he began to give us some of the glimpses of why this guy's considered a lottery pick. He's really long. He, he had uh, he had one or two plays defensively, especially a steal that I saw where he, he's just, uh, you know, you, you can't coach that kind of length and quickness and the such. Um, uh, I, 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 I liked His activity, like uh, on the boards, he he was one of many guys who tied for uh, second on the team in rebounding. Um, uh, And he and he looked he looked smooth on offense. He looked pretty good. Uh, You know, it's clear that this is a guy who has been set back a little bit by injury, but I've got no problem with that. And, And look, the bottom line is he played in this exhibition. We said previewing this we didn't think there was any chance he was going to play in this exhibition. We, we, we'd seen he'd been playing in practice a little bit, but we thought they'll be cautious, they'll move him along slowly. And lo and behold, we're, we're completely wrong. And, and he gets in and plays almost 18 minutes. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, it's awesome. It's great. It, it means that there is every chance in the world that A.J. Griffin is going to progress much quicker than we'd anticipated in terms of coming back from the knee injury. And, and, and these are important things, hugely important things for this team. The versatility he brings, I think, is really important. Although I don't know that I saw, I don't know that I saw the, quite the ball handling from him that says to me he's going to play, you know, two guard. I think he's probably going to be more of a forward. Um, in fact, I think he's mostly going to play like backup small forward and backup power forward for Duke. And Wendell Moore is going to be the guy who can shift around a lot to allow more versatility for this team. Um, and, and I do want to mention one thing. There's one negative, I thought, uh, well, really two of them. Um, He he did not hit his free throws. For a guy who had a reputation as a good shooter in high school, um, his free throws were a problem. He was just four of nine from the free throw line. Um, It did not hit a a three-pointer. And also, A.J. Griffin fouled out. He picked up five fouls in 17 and a half minutes. Um, Had this been a real game, uh, I'm hoping we'll be able to use him for more than 17 and a half minutes, and he won't pick up fouls quite that quickly. That being said, I I would like to
0: take the positive spin on him. And then I want to come back to you, Jason, to talk about Paulo Banquero, who I think was the was the real star of this game. But very quickly on A.J. Griffin, for me, I assume that he's probably rusty, having been kind of off his feet, you know, dealing with a knee injury. You really don't have there's really nothing you can do while rehabbing a knee injury that really mimics what it's like to be in a basketball game. It's just, you know, anything involving your legs just takes like, it's not like you could practice shooting um, because you can't really like put the weight on it and you can't move around on it. You certainly can't run or, or, or pass or anything. It's really just about getting your strength back and getting your coordination back. So I assume that he's, he's still in that rehab process. And if that only means that he's playing, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes a game here in the non-conference and letting some of the other guys develop around him, I think that's probably fine for Duke, given all the other talent that is on the floor. But for me, like you were saying, the excitement of seeing A.J. Griffin this early when I had kind of written off, you know, I was thinking like, oh, this is going to be a, this is going to be a Kyrie Irving situation. Maybe not that he's going to be shelved for the whole year, but it's going to be weeks and weeks of us not seeing him. Not you know, It ended up only being a couple weeks since we first heard about his injury. Okay, that's it for AJ Griffin. I want to shift gears and talk about Paulo Bancaro because I'm going to assume, Jason, that he was actually the top topic for you because we saw some Paulo Bancaro in the blue-white game, but we saw a ton of Paulo Bancaro against Winston-Salem State.
1: Yeah, dude gets 21 points and nine rebounds and and, and in 20 minutes of playing time. Um, it felt like this was the Palo Bancaro. Uh, you know, we in the blue-white scrimmage, we talked about, you know, oh, it looks like he, he was getting the shots he wanted, but they weren't falling down. He was getting the shots he wanted, and they fell down. His ability to handle the ball, to see his teammates, you know, run the fast break or even just, you know, in the regular half-court offense, be a facilitator, And his ability to finish on the inside. Um, He is one of those very, very, very rare guys who possess. And I, you know, I say this seriously. He possesses guard skills and he possesses, possesses center skills. And he has a center's size. There are not many of those. And the ones who can do that are really special. The fact that we have one, uh, you know, (laughs) it it presents some real luxuries for you. Uh, You know, I, One of the things that I noticed in this game is that it feels to me like Duke has four guys who can facilitate the offense, you know, handle the ball really easily. And we're going to have three of them on the floor at any given moment. Those four guys are Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, Jeremy Jeremy Roach, and Paolo Caro. And having four guys who can all handle the ball really well is just an unbelievable luxury for a team. It means that you're never going to be in a problematic situation on offense where you're like, Oh no, you know, this guy got, got trapped or cut off or whatever. And and we don't know what we're going to do with the ball. Um, So I, I, Palo Palo was fabulous. Now we, I mean, we should note he was playing against really inferior competition, but he still was clearly the best player on the floor. And like I said, he was able to do whatever he wanted at any given moment. And I don't know if you're another college basketball team, I'm not sure how you scout him and say, okay, here's, here's the guy we have who can stop him because he's, Big, strong, and and physical enough to be able to take you on the inside, but he has the outside shooting. He has the, he hit a three pointer. He has the skill to be able to take anybody on the outside. I, I, I just don't know that there's anyone in college basketball who can guard him. Frankly, even Chet Holmgren, who is a you know who who's the other guy who possesses those same kind of skills supposedly, the other star stud freshman, Chet Holmgren. Doesn't uh, physically, I think it's going to have trouble with Paolo on the inside. Chet Holmgren is not nearly as big and as strong as Paolo Boncaro is. So this guy's, you know, there's a reason they call him unicorns. <laughs> you don't come along very often. I'm thrilled to have him.
0: There are two elements of Paolo's offense within this team that I am interested to see develop as the year goes on. The first is, and you, I, I think in passing, just alluded to it, the uh, relative percentage of his offense that will be generated from the perimeter as opposed to the interior and, and, and driving, uh, he can shoot the ball from outside. The question is how much will he choose to do so this year and how much will the offense be designed for him to be finding outside shots? Cause I don't, I don't know that he's, that he's mobile enough for us to be designed. I mean, you know, to the extreme, it's not like we're designing JJ Redick plays, for Paulo Bancaro this year, which is not to say that he's not going to get open. Um, So I'm curious to see what that breakdown is of his like outside shots versus shots in the paint. Uh, And a lot of those shots in the paint, by the way, will be drives, not sort of traditional big man uh, type of type of plays, which leads me to the second thing that I'm curious about, which we saw nice glimpses of in this game, but is not uh, because of the limitations of, of, playing a division two team that doesn't really have big men, not as interesting, but the fact that Paulo and Mark Williams are able to run some high low together is, is also something that that should be exciting for Duke fans. Not that I think I was really worried about this going into the season. I'm not concerned that, that Paulo and Mark are going to get in each other's ways because they, they do have really different offensive games and uh, they're both comfortable stepping far enough away from the basket that neither sort of getting in the other's way notionally, you know, Mark Williams can, can step out to to 10, 12 feet to take the the elbow jumper if he really wants to. Although obviously most of his points are going to be coming right next to the rim, but I saw a little bit of that in this game and that gives me a, a ton of excitement because we are going to have to see if Duke is going to play to its potential this year, those guys are going to be playing 30 minutes a game, at least 20 of which are going to be just with each other, you know, with, with Theo John, I think rotating in to, to spell each of them. Um, and I was excited to see how well they played together. Another guy that I wanted to bring up that we've talked about a lot in the preseason who we're excited to see is Wendell Moore. Uh, taking on taking on more of the load for this team as both a ball handler and as a defender um, and as a shooter. You know, it, there's there's a ton of of development that I think we're seeing from Wendell Moore. And this is a game where, look, again, he's still going to be bigger than most of the guys that, that they're playing in an exhibition. Um, but that doesn't mean that we can't be excited about all of the the vision that he's displaying and the shooting and kind of the composure uh, that that all appear to be part of his development. So I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm not giving Player of the Game to Paulo Bancaro, I actually think I'm giving it to Wendell Moore because I'm so excited to see, you know, how far he has come this year, uh, or at least in the in the off season. And obviously, we'll see a lot more when, when Duke plays Kentucky pretty soon. But
1: Jason, what do you think of Wendell Moore in this game? Uh, you know, I feel like it's a broken record when we talk about Wendell Moore. He he is clearly more athletic. He is clearly more explosive. Um, he had six assists in the game. I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the court vision, his ability to handle the ball and find his teammates, um, six assists and zero turnovers. Uh, th- I'll, I'll take those numbers from my small forward any day of the month. I, I, you know, he, he's an outstanding ball player who is able to do things, you know, that, that a guy, his size typically doesn't do as well as he does. And, um, I, I I was I was thrilled with Wendell Moore's game, and I think that Wendell Moore sort of was subservient, somewhat in his game this time around because he knew that Duke didn't need him, um, and he wanted the other guys to get the feel for what it's like when you score and the Cameron crazies go crazy, and what it's like to to play in Cameron against a different team, and uh, you know, and and uh, you know, playing players you're not familiar with. Uh, he wanted the rest of the team to get a better sense of that stuff because Wendell Moore is far and away the most experienced player in this. I know Joey Baker has more years in the program in terms of game experience. Wendell Moore is light years beyond anyone else on this Duke team. And and I think he recognized, I don't need to, you know, I got eight points in this. I don't need to get a lot of points and do a lot of stuff in this game. I'm going to play good defense. I'm going to facilitate my teammates getting buckets and, and Sam, I, you know, I, I wouldn't give him player of the game. Um, like you did, but, but it's not a bad choice. I'm not strongly disagreeing with it. And and I thought from a mental standpoint, he showed his teammates what they need to do. And that's hugely important. There are going to be games where Wendell Moore leads this team in scoring. He didn't need to in this game, and that's why he didn't. And to that point, I think that
0: Wendell Moore could be Duke's most valuable player this year without averaging double figures. Uh,
1: like, I, I think he is going to score gonna, double he's figures average He's going he, to,
0: but you're right. Yes. But but there's a, there's a world where he averages nine points a game and is so integral to everything that Duke is doing. Like he's only getting kind of cleanup type of, of baskets, whether those are threes or putbacks or broken plays. Um, even if that's all the offense that he's providing, he's still going to be such an important piece for Duke. All right. I want you to give me, Jason, uh, one more sort of non-star player who stood out for you in this game. And, I, and as you said, A lot of guys got significant minutes because Coach K was trying to spread the love around in the only exhibition game that the team gets. So highlight for me
1: any of the other kind of
0: newcomers or or bench players that you thought stood out.
1: So just really quick, look, we've talked a lot about Theo John. I thought he looked great um, as as he has like virtually every time we've had to see him. Um, I'm really pleased with the way Theo John uh, is developing and he's going to be, if not the best backup, you know, sub big man in the country, uh, you know, in the top two or three, uh, there's going to, you know, there's a drop off when Mark Williams comes out of the game, but there won't be a huge drop off because Theo John is really, really solid in the post. And he's so physically strong. He's not going to be pushed back in any way, shape or form. I thought Jeremy Roach had a really nice game. Um, Seven assists, one turnover, by the way, Wendell Moore, Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach combined for 17 assists and one turnover. That's that's those are crazy good numbers. They had they had I mean, four steals among the three of them and only one turnover. Duke had it's only a good that that's a night that that
0: you know if 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 that's the output on a given night, Duke has to be happy with that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And by the way, they were five of ten from three. So uh, so they have they have a total of one turnover. They have seventeen assists. They're five of ten from three. They had four steals. I mean, <laughs> but but I mean, come on. You know, the opponent is just. Uh, Winston-Salem State was just not even in the same ballpark. What was it? it was like 28-2 to 2 at one point. Um, I liked, Jason, that you highlighted Theo John because
0: I'm excited to see what he does for Duke this year. And the other thing that kind of stood out to me, especially as we were talking about A.J. Griffin and, and what his sort of slow return might look like, is Duke has actually pretty good guard depth this year. Uh, you know assuming that we, we know that Trevor Keels i think in our limited exposure to him we're we're pretty sure that Trevor Keels is going to be able to play at a you know good rotation
1: ACC player uh, type of level this year oh, yeah um, i think Trevor Keels not, Trevor Keels, uh, has every chance to be the second best rookie second best freshman in the ACC this year
0: and and thinking of, of AJ Griffin as a as a swing player you know maybe he's a maybe he's more of a a forward but if he's a if he's a wing player Duke has a lot of guys between the guard and wing positions who can rotate around and and provide different looks for this team, and and that really uh, that really appeared to me in this game. Uh, Joey Baker doesn't have to play twenty five minutes a game to be very effective. Wendell Moore is going to play a lot. We know Trevor Keels is going to play a lot. We know Jeremy Roach is going to play a lot. And look, Jalen Blake's isn't isn't going to be out there like making all these shots for Duke but can spell these guys and, and is athletic enough at least to hang with, um, with ACC players. So I actually and, and, feel good about, about this Bates, guard
1: rotation. And, 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 and Bates Jones, you know, you, you went through almost the entire lineup. I didn't want to leave Bates Jones out. I thought, you know, Bates Jones knocked down a couple of three pointers. Um, you know, he looked like a guy who can be useful in kind of a reserve kind of, you know, deep reserve kind of role. If we get in foul trouble and Bates Jones has to play some, it's not the end of the world, not by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Certainly not. All right, let's turn this around in the in whatever capacity you have to find bad from this game, Jason.
1: Where was the bad for you? So, so first of all, the bad is we were playing a team that's bad. Um, they may be fine for division, whatever they are, division three, but division but two. This, division two, sorry, but this is not a team that is uh, even remotely competitive with Duke. I, I went back and looked at at the past several years of exhibitions. Duke's had a couple exhibitions. Where, where things were closer than they should have been. Two years, just two years ago, we had an exhibition where the final score was like 69 to 63 against, I think it was Southwest Missouri State or Northwest Missouri State, one of those uh, one of those Missouri States. <laughs> um, but it was a very competitive exhibition. Um, Duke's had exhibitions where, you, you know, we've had also exhibitions where we win by 40, 50, even as much as, you know, this game, 70 points. Um, but this was a really bad opponent. Now, I, and it's it's just tough to say how much of that was Duke and how much of that was Winston-Salem State. Uh, Winston-Salem State hit 13% of their shots in the first half. I want to repeat that. They hit 13% of their shots. A lot of that, I think, was Duke playing great defense. A, a lot of that was just that Winston-Salem State, I think, is is not that good an opponent. Um, so so uh, to some extent... The bad is that we didn't get to test Duke against someone a little bit better. That said, you know, it, it's an exhibition, you're just not going to get a really great opponent. So my other bad stuff is um, you, you have to be a little tiny bit concerned about the free throw shooting on this team. Duke just hit 65% of their free throws. Palo was four of seven AJ just four of nine. Those are the guys who miss free throws. I mean, the good side of the free throws is that virtually all the other regulars seem to hit their free throws relatively easily. Mark Williams was two of three, but other than that, you know, Theo John hit him, Jeremy Roach hit them. Um, you know, we knocked down our our, our our free throws other than those two guys. But, you know, Duke can't have – it would be a problem if we were consistently getting poor free throw shooting from A.J. Griffin and Paolo Bancaro. So I hope that doesn't continue. And then the other bad is Duke was scorching hot from three in the first half. They hit 7 of 12, 58% of their three-pointers in the first half. In the second half, they just hit four of 15, just 26%. Part of that was I think the team sort of eased off the the gas pedal a little bit in the second half. There was no question that – look, you don't want to embarrass your opponent, you know, beat him by 70. <laughs> I, you know, is that is there anything more embarrassing than that, I guess? But uh, I, 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 I don't expect Duke to hit more than 50% of their threes every game. But um, 26% in the second half shows you that this team – is susceptible to not shooting well from the perimeter. On the other hand, in the second half, when they weren't shooting well from the outside, they were able to find other ways to generate offense. So that's a good thing. Duke also, as you noted, spread the minutes around
0: where 10 different players played over 15 minutes in this game, uh, which no Coach K team is, is going to do in his last year. I don't think Coach K is all of a sudden going to open up the rotation to be truly 10 guys deep. So I think part of maybe that, uh, that inconsistency that we saw in the second half was Duke experimenting a little more with lineups that were just very unlikely to see during the season. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. look, you, you really have to take you know the, the, the time with like more Keels, Roach, Paulo, Mark Williams, AJ Griffin on the floor, like those six guys as, as kind of the most important uh, times in the game. And Griffin isn't quite healthy yet. So yeah. we really didn't see that much of the prime version of this team.
1: Yeah, and, and and like I mean, to give your minutes thing to, to to put a finer point on it, Bates Jones played the sixth most minutes of anybody. He played more than Wendell Moore, um, and that's just that's, not that's just going not to happen. happen.
0: <laughs> With no disrespect to Bates Jones, who, no, no. who, as you said, put in put in put in some nice minutes and and can clearly shoot the ball. Uh, that that's not the the recipe for success for Duke this year. So we uh, we won't get to see the Blue Devils again until um, until they play Kentucky, which uh, is going to be an absolutely incredible game that we're going to have to stay up late for. So uh, we will, we'll preview the the team at greater length uh, coming up in a few days or or maybe next weekend when we do the stats game. But after the break here, we're going to give a preview of the stats game because uh, I think it's one of the most fun things that we do every year and uh, we want to get folks excited for it. So stick
1: around.
0: That's right, Jason. And Jason, I can tell you, I just got some meals. They're fantastic. And the great thing is, like you said, two minutes, mindless work, pop it in the microwave, do what you need to do, and it's ready to eat. No more cooking, no more cleaning pots and pans. And also, there's a lot of choices with 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So you'll always have new flavors to explore.
1: All right, so head to factormeals.com slash dukebb50. Use that code duke bb50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code duke bb50 at factormeals.com. Get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy Factor Meals from the Duke Basketball Roundup.
0: As we said before the break, we want to preview the stats game just a little bit. If you are unfamiliar with the show or you only just started listening to us this offseason, maybe you're not familiar with the fact that every year we do, among the three of us, me, Donald, Jason, we do a little contest where I come up with a whole bunch of stats for us to predict uh, for individuals and for the team and we go through and do those predictions hopefully they they are in some way emblematic of the of the greater success of the team and uh and and it's just a fun thing for us to track throughout the year we've had uh, a few i think notable predictions over the years donald one time uh, predicting the team would score 100 points i think 10 times in the season and it only happened once um generally i think what we found and I, i i would have to go back and and actually analyze this. But I think generally when we try to predict numbers, we overdo it. Um, so we're, we're maybe a little bit more optimistic about this team than didn't we should I, be.
1: I, I had a, so Donald had his uh, hundred point games. That was his embarrassment. I think I had, was it, was it Marquise Bolden three pointers that I had like 10 or something like that? Yeah. And, and, I, and he didn't have any. <laughs> <I think. laughs> um, so we, we each have our moments of, uh, of failure.
0: I overshot. Uh, I overshot the um, points scored by the walk-ons, which is really a. Uh, oh, I a,
1: nail that every year. I win that category every year.
0: <laughs> it's an indicator. I, I think points scored by walk-ons is sort of a, a proxy for number of blowouts, and I wildly overestimated that. I think it was two years ago. So yeah, you okay. had like
1: you had like close to thirty or something like that. Yeah, something like, like that. It, I was like, it didn't five. <laughs>
0: um, so so every year we we'll end up doing some of the same. Um, some of the same items this year, we're going to switch from doing, uh, total counting stats to, uh, average per game, because I think that's thrown us off in years past and it makes it less fun, but we'll do, um, so we'll do averages per game of all the, of all the kind of traditional counting numbers. Um, but some of the players that I want to highlight in the player specific categories this year, and Jason, maybe you can give me some initial thoughts. Uh, not that you want to give us real predictions. Right. I will not be a, making
1: any predictions. A couple, a couple <laughs> but I'll of the tell ones. Tell you what that I think I... of the category. Yeah, and and for the couple... folks at home, this will allow them to prepare. They can listen later on and and join us because we encourage everyone to post their own. When we do this, we post the predictions on the DBR forums. And this way, everybody else can can join us and make their own predictions.
0: So there are a couple of guys that I'm curious about specifically in the realm of are they going to start games? And the, the wild card here, of course, is A.J. Griffin because he uh, he's not necessarily healthy to start the season. So I'm not going to have us predicting AJ Griffin starts, but I do want us to predict both Trevor Keel's starts and Joey Baker starts because I think there is, I think there are versions of this season where Trevor Keel's Trevor Keels could start every game for this team. Like he could end up being, as you were saying before the break, Jason, he could end up being the second best rookie in the ACC this year. And if that's the case, he starts virtually every game for Duke. The other guy though, is Joey Baker, who is a senior, who is a captain who you know doesn't have a ton of highlights for Duke, but, um, but brings, I think, a presence that Coach K really appreciates. So I'm going to have us predict starts for both of those guys. What do you think about that?
1: So uh, I've got a question. Can we adjust it just a little bit and say for Trevor Keel's games, he does not start. So you could pick zero, meaning you think he starts every, because if we pick starts and if I think he's going to start virtually every game, then, then I'm guessing at how many games Duke ends up playing. And that could, like, I could say Absolutely. 35. Absolutely, okay, yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that, that's fair. That's fair, I think that's fair. Like, if I said 35, I might be wrong, even like, you know, that may be me guessing he starts every single game. I could be wrong just because Duke doesn't play 35 or plays more than 35. So yeah, that's my request on that category.
0: Jason, I can get on board with that. Games that Trevor Keels doesn't start. All right, so we'll do, we'll do games Trevor Keels doesn't start and games that Joey Baker does start. Uh, Cause both of those could be, uh, could be interesting. Uh, another one that I, now I need to look back and, and say, okay. So we didn't have this exact one last year, but I need to know how many dunks for Mark Williams. Because oh, I know
1: Mark Williams. i uh, Oh God. I want to say he had 48 dunks last year. I forgot. And,
0: and I think he will have more this year. Oh, We didn't yeah. predict, well, play more we didn't year, predict yeah. it last year, yeah. uh, but, but we're bringing back, we're bringing back dunks. Cause we didn't, I don't think we predicted any dunks last year. Uh, but we will be predicting Mark Williams dunks this year. Another guy I'm interested in on the big man front. uh, I don't have any specific predictions for Paulo, uh, but I do have Theo John's total minutes because another interesting wrinkle for this team is the fact that Duke has two big men who are, who are supposed to be fantastic. Paulo Banquero, who's a national player of the year candidate Mark Williams, who, who really came on strong at the end of last season and, was contributing in all kinds of interesting ways. Those guys should get the bulk of the minutes, but how many minutes will Theo John get in that third spot being an experienced big man coming from a big conference um, but transferring in. So I'm curious about that. And then if you want a really fun one, how many three-pointers is Bates Jones
1: going to make this year? Oh, that's a, both of those really good wild card. Ones. I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to put in a guess yet. Total wild to really, card. Really think on those. <laughs>
0: The uh, the interesting thing that I'm finding as I'm as I'm starting to put this together is, uh, and, and we know this, but it's worth highlighting for Duke fans again, just how much production Duke loses from last year to this year. Uh, Jalen Johnson didn't you know didn't end up with like the biggest counting stats, obviously because he left in the middle of the year. But if you're going on a on a per game basis, Jalen Johnson was quote unquote the star of this team for the limited time that he played for them. And if it wasn't him, it was Matthew Hurt. Both of them are gone. Another player that I I think Duke fans might miss more than they may realize is Jordan Goldwire, who ended up kind of be, you know, Duke obviously was not that good last year, but in, in, in its best form, Jordan Goldwire was everywhere for the blue devils. He was uh, he was creating offense for his teammates. He was very active on defense and he was, you know, Bodying up a lot of players who were who were really strong uh, offensive players in their own right. He's also gone, obviously transferred out. So. Are, are we
1: gonna are we gonna guess at Jordan Goldwire minutes per game at Oklahoma? We could. <laughs> no, I, honestly, no, honestly, I'm interested in it because no, I know that Oklahoma is too much going research. To be good. I'm not doing that. It's too much research. Too much.
0: You you don't want to you don't want to go ten deep on on the Oklahoma. Uh, on the Oklahoma roster and, and no, figure out no. figure out uh, what round Duke is going to have to meet Jordan Goldwire in in the tournament? No. Oh,
1: well, How many, uh, I, don't even, I don't even know if Oklahoma's making the tournament. I've, I haven't paid attention to Oklahoma. They're not in the- Oklahoma's, top Oklahoma's is good. I think. Oklahoma's,
0: they? They'll be good enough to make the tournament. Um, uh, yeah,
1: I think that's, yeah, that's probably a safe bet. I don't think they're in the top 25, are they?
0: So maybe, maybe Duke will, uh, I don't think they're in the top 25. Maybe yeah. Duke will, will, will get to play them in, in the tournament, though. Uh, it is certainly possible.
1: And so, so what was your Jordan Goldwire related? What, oh, I, just I, I was just noting
0: that, that he led the team in both in, in both assists and steals last year. Um, and, Oh yeah. And, and, and that he was sort of far, like far ahead of everyone else in both of those categories. So Duke is, is going to have to make up a lot of production. Now, Jeremy Roach is going to take some of that. And I'm sure we'll be talking about him a lot in the preview. Um, Wendell Moore, I think is also going to be taking some of that. So we'll be discussing them. And then, and by the way, Trevor Keels is probably going to get a lot of minutes for Duke. So, so he might be, um, he might be in the running for, for a lot of these guard related counting numbers as well. Any I think other
1: steals is going to be one of the most difficult categories to predict this year, Any... because there are, there are numerous guys who are really, who have the potential. Look, if AJ Griffin plays enough. It could easily be AJ Griffin. I think Wendell Moore is a strong competitor in that category. It is not outside the realm of possibility. Big men, especially you know guys with long arms, get steals. Mark Williams could be in there. There, Trevor Keels has long arms. I, the Steals is—I don't even want to try that one. Can we skip that one?
0: <laughs> There's another another category that I like to do every year that I think every year ends up being an interesting window into the team. But it's the team's Ken Palm defensive rank at the end of the regular season.
1: You love that one, yeah. This
0: year, you could talk me into pretty much any number um, because I think that this team could be elite on defense. And I think that there's also a world where the pieces don't quite fit together on defense because I, I, I just don't know how it, all, how it all clicks. And Duke ends up being, you know, not bad, but certainly not good. On defense, So that's one that I'm going to be watching as well. So,
1: so teams with a lot of freshmen teams that are integrating new players typically struggle on defense, but Duke may have the best rim protection of any team in the country. Look, but when we were talking about the scrimmage, not the scrimmage, sorry, the exhibition earlier, we did not talk enough about Mark Williams blocking five shots. And the fact that Theo John is also an elite, elite rim protector. Um, Duke's rim protection may be as good as it's ever been. Ever been, well, if not ever, certainly since, perhaps since Sheldon Williams was manning the paint. Duke's rim protection is going to be in that kind of level, and rim protection tends to be as important a defensive stat as you can come up with. So, so there's and more important
0: re- now than it was in Sheldon Williams's time.
1: It, yes, yes. So, there's every reason to think this team may be really, really great defensively. But, like I said, like I was saying, you know, they they are young and have not played together a lot, and they could really struggle on D.
0: So, Jason, I'll ask you, are there any uh, particular player-specific categories that you think would be fun for us to predict? And then I'll also put that question out to the listeners because I haven't finalized this list yet, and we, we can obviously make changes to it until right when the game starts.
1: I want to do Palo Bancaro double-doubles. I think it uh, will be a very interesting one. Um, we, uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if someone gave us a number like around 20. And that's, that's a huge. That'd be a crazy kind of number. but It could happen. It's it's not insane to think that that could happen with that guy. If he's playing,
0: if he's if he's able to play 35 minutes a game, which is a huge if um, to be playing, you know, closer to 35 than than 30, I think like low 30s, I think is really the target for any freshman Um, Duke players who are experienced are going to play 36, 37 minutes a game. Like if you're, you know, junior or senior year, Nolan Smith, someone like that. Um, you're going to play that many minutes, but freshmen tend not to get more than than just 30 minutes a game unless it's a situation where Duke is shorthanded like 2016 or something. So if, if Paulo is able to play that many minutes, then yeah, the potential for the double-doubles, I think, goes way up.
1: So another one I'd like to see, I, I think we should not even ask about uh, who's going to lead the team in block shots. We're, all three of us are going to pick Mark Williams. You'd have to be a little bit, crazy not to pick mark williams to lead the team in block shots i think a more interesting stat would be pick how many block shots per game mark williams will average um you know like 3.7 or 2.1 or 1.6 whatever that number may be pick the average block shots per game from mark williams i think is more interesting.
0: it was 1.4 last year yeah in in what i would describe as like not limited minutes but way fewer minutes than he's going to get this year
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, my, my bet is if we picked Mark Williams block shots per game, that all three of us will pick a number higher than two, um, which is a a pretty big number when it comes to block shots. So I'd like to see us do that. Uh, and I, I, I want to think I I was, I was toying with the idea and it's just, it'd be tough to count. I think, I feel like Wendell Moore is going to fill up the box score. Like he's going to get rebounds. He's going to get points. He's going to get assists. He's going to get steals. I don't know if he's going to get any triple doubles, but I bet Wendell Moore has a ton of games where he gets like double digit scoring and five plus rebounds and five plus assists. But it's just maybe it's too hard to count that. But I think that'd be an interesting one to, to tally up. I, I we can I, we can count that. We can count we, that. We can,
0: yeah, we can do that. Um, I have I have both the time and the uh, limited Excel uh, counting <laughs> skills <laughs> They're able to do that. So so maybe we'll do something like that. All right. Uh, that That is a, that's a, an excellent, fun little preview. Uh, we will ask folks as we wrap up here, if you have ideas for the stats game, email them to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send any questions or comments or complaints to that, that inbox, and we will try to respond to them. So next time we talk, hopefully we'll have Donald back. I don't know. I don't know uh, how messed up he's going to be being on Hawaiian time and and doing Hawaiian things, but we will try to get him back here. The season uh, tips off in in just nine days. So basketball season is very much here and we are excited for it. So with that, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, unfortunately not with us. Aloha, our friend. I am Sam Klein. This has been did I even say what what
1: you did not? I think it's three fifty two.
0: 353 maybe 353
1: a lot it's a lot (laughs) Uh,
0: episode folks this is episode 353 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast that is a palindrome it is Halloween night please don't get in too much trouble we will talk to you again real soon but for Jason and Donald I'm Sam this is the Duke band take us home.
2: It's time to expect more from urgent care Like caregivers who take time to listen Smooth access to local specialty care if you need it Virtual visits and save your spot convenience Plus easy access community locations And we're open 365 days a year To treat your sprains, cuts, fever and flu Northwell Health Go Health Urgent Care Get
1: more than you expect And exactly what you need Welcome to a new era in urgent care